Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. Money FM Budget Conversations 2023 is presented by UOB in partnership with KPMG. UOB, building the future of ASEAN. You're listening to Money FM 89.3. Now, moving forward in a new era. That was the theme of this year's budget delivered by Finance Minister Lawrence Wong in Parliament yesterday. On the social front, the budget tackled several long-standing issues such as Singapore's low fertility rate and the retirement adequacy of seniors. At the same time, there will be more measures to reduce waiting times for new HDB flats and for businesses more support for developing local enterprises and dealing with cost pressures. But the question is, how much is all of this going to cost? That's right, Rachel. Well, Deputy Prime Minister Lawrence Wong's budget bouquet proposal has come in at $123.7 billion. That's about 18.2% of Singapore's GDP. And of course, the question is, well, how are we going to foot the bill? Well, new taxes have been introduced on housing vehicles and a 15% tax increase mm-hmm. on tobacco. Well, to help us analyze this year's budget and what it means for you, we are joined now by Chiu Wu Hong, Partner and Head of Enterprise Tax for KPMG in Singapore, Alvin Liu, Senior Economist at UOB, and Ryan Cho, Deputy President of uh, SMF, the Singapore Manufacturing Federation and Managing Director for FarEastFlora.com. Okay, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us in the studio. We'll also be joined very shortly by Dr. Gillian Coe, Deputy Director of the Institute of Policy Studies. But I want to start off with um, the cash handouts from this year's budget. We've got to start with the goodies, right? Um, and that is good goodies. Um, so we'll talk about the assurance package. And we did see a slew of cash handouts to help Singaporeans weather the immediate storm. A lot of people are talking about balancing the impact of inflation. To what extent do you think that the assurance booster does just that? Well, it's something that we had expected. We talked about this before in the preview, right? Mm. But uh, the amount of increase, of course, is much higher than what we originally anticipated. It was supposed to be $8 billion announced in November at a size of $8 billion. But then when we came to this point, right, it was about 9.6 already. So it's a $3 billion increase from the original $6.6 billion mm. announced in 2022 budget. I think it would be still seen that a lot of these are one-offs, but it's because of the high inflation environment. I think the good part is it is trying to address a real issue that is on the ground, that is mm. rising cost of living for a lot of people, households, individuals, but also at the same time trying to make sure that this is not going to be an ingrained kind of a mindset, that there will always be this kind of handouts. Problem, of course, is inflation remains elevated for a longer period. Let's say it goes into... 2024 and even 2025. Mm. So what gives then? But for now, I think this is good, but also there is a longer-term issue at the backdrop. Mm. Wuhang, what are your thoughts? I agree with what Alvin has said. Because of inflation, high inflation, the package given out has to be significant. Uh, But at the same time, this is a short-term solution. In the longer, mid-term solution is that there will be incentives and support for businesses and workers to upgrade and upskill themselves so that they can be more relevant in the new economy and also to increase their capabilities to command higher wages so that they can beat inflation in the future. Yeah, Ryan, just get your thoughts on this as well. Right? When you heard all the goodies coming in, and we're talking about CDC vouchers, you save rebates, and also cash for elders as well. What's your first impression 
when you heard the magnitude of the cash handouts? Well, I, I think as a citizen, you know, we're getting all these uh, goodies. Uh, I'm, I'm very happy, right? Yeah, I think that uh, in our chat groups, everybody said, yeah, it's a good thing. Nobody will reject anything that's given to them, so to speak. Eh? I think the, especially like the CDC vouchers, you know, I think it's going to benefit a lot of low-income families. Mm-hmm. Um, you've really seen that that translate to real benefits going to the ground. I'm actually a volunteer at uh, Northeast CDC. Mm. Yeah, so I've been there for about 13 years. So we at the council level, um, we talk a lot about all these things, and we've seen CDC vouchers delivering real value to okay. the ground. And also, I think one of the things that was really effective is that we're only allowed to buy a certain range of products. And at the same time, it benefits the local merchants. So it's targeted support for both sides. Exactly. So I think that's a really good package. And while it's targeted support for both sides, do you think that there were any groups that perhaps then fell through the cracks? At the CDC level, we've always been very mindful, you know, that if there's anyone that needs help Mm -hmm. that doesn't fit into these demographics, we're always open to understanding their issues and then also tailoring something to benefit them. So... I would say that it's pretty comprehensive. So far, I've not heard a lot of uh, issues uh, on the ground in this area. Yeah, talking about pretty comprehensive um, is what's being rolled out on the social front for families. We heard a lot of measures and policies being announced and I was just looking at my chat group. Everyone's talking about this and that. For example, paternity leave and we also have a lot of help for moms as well. So a lot of recognition for the role both sides play. So this is interesting because we've spoken about this. I think we spoke about this uh, during our budget conversations last year. We were looking for some budget goodies when it came to parents and then this year it was delivered. I mean, one year too late for me, but (laughs) I think it was eight months pregnant during last year budget. But um, from your perspective, the three of you are fathers. We've seen paternity leave move from two weeks to two more weeks. What are your thoughts? I mean, is this helpful? We'll get into what it means for companies a little bit later on. But Alvin, perhaps for you. I think at the start of it, I guess when you're not used to taking paternity leave, right, there's a bit of a mindset trying to adjustment. Mm. But I think as time passes and we get the dual roles Mm -hmm. of two parents, right, is important in the development of the child, upbringing of the child. So I think we will get towards that. But I think the good part is the government has recognised that the mm-hmm. importance for the father to play in that role and to provide that, I guess, the incentive. And therefore, we will likely see people slowly move towards that to get used to that concept. And for Wu Hong and Ryan, what are your thoughts in terms of what this means for businesses? Yeah, I think for businesses, it's also a good message to staff, right, to educate them that the role of a father is just as important as a mother. So not to worry about the cost, it's about getting the mindset correct, like what Erwin said. But guys, I'm also a father of children. Trust me, the children have memories. They remember who changed their diapers. Huh? Mm. So, so better we better do something and work towards that, yeah. I don't know if my children remember I changed the diapers or not, man. Did you? Uh, oh, yes, I did. <laughs> but do you think from a business perspective, from your position as, you know, a deputy president at the Singapore Manufacturing Federation, what does this mean for businesses? Well, first of all, I think it's very encouraging to learn about the extra paternity leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if I'm a new father, I think that would be very encouraging and helpful. But coming from a business perspective, I would say that businesses would gradually need to cope 
with knowing that this is uh, the new direction the, the country mm-hmm. is heading, right? It is important for fathers to play a more important role in the children's developing years. But I look at it and I'm thinking, well, when the pandemic was here, everybody was working from home, right? So you probably would not affect those roles that you don't need to be physically present, you know, for example, on the factory floor in order for your production to work. Okay, so those that require you to be physically present may be a little bit more affected with this leap. But eventually, I think businesses will learn how to cope. Money FM Budget Conversations 2023 is presented by UOB in partnership with KPMG. UOB, building the future of ASEAN. Thanks for staying with us here on Money FM 89.3 for a special budget conversation. We're joined in the studio by Alvin Liu, Senior Economist at UOB, Chi Wu Hong, Partner Head of Enterprise Tax, KPMG in Singapore. Dr. Gillian Ko joins us now in the studio as well, Deputy Director, Research Institute of Policy Studies, Ryan Cho, uh, Deputy President, Singapore Manufacturing Federation, Managing Director, ForestFloor.com. Yes, good morning, Gillian. Good to have you with us in the studio. Thanks for inviting me. It's good wonderful morning. to have you. Thank you for joining us. Joining us. We were just having a very interesting conversation about paternity leave, and I think we need to get into the other baby bonuses and benefits that we saw from this year's budget. Gillian, um, what's your take on the support for young families from this year's budget? A surprise? Were you expecting it? Well, I think that uh, the finance minister called this the Valentine's Day budget. Mm-hmm. So I think that was sort of expected that more support be given to family formation. And I think the amounts that are now being committed to the baby bonus package, including a cash handout, also sort of the top-ups to students' accounts of various means, mm-hmm. I think will be important signal to young families, young couples who are considering sort of having the next child, you know, because things do add up. And I suppose the outright gift at the start Mm. will uh, help with expenses and just shift that sort of sense of anxiety away to sort of some sense of security and comfort. Yes. Yeah, it all adds up. And I think part of the equation is housing, housing affordability. I think this is where, Alvin, you can uh, share our thoughts on you know, how there's now a increase in the housing grant for families mm-hmm. purchasing, for example, four room and small units to get $30,000 extra for grants and buy $10,000 extra for five room or larger units. So mm-hmm. all in is just to make it easier for first-time home buyers uh, to get things off the ground, so to speak, because of the rising property prices here. Including on that also the measure that was given I think they get one extra uh, BTO ballot one extra BTO ballot I think uh, this is also very targeted in that sense that it is addressing part of a larger issue right now and we know that last week in Thailand this is widely debated on affordability and accessibility and this targets specifically also for the first time family so I Mm -hmm. think it's a multi-pronged approach to one problem that means for the first time family for them to start a family then they have to have a place to stay Mm. Mm -hmm. and you have to encourage them to give birth early so you throw in all the baby bonus (laughs) so it's a very targeted approach to solve that one fertility trend issue but I think the housing affordability part is a good thing Mm -hmm. because but it is also very targeted it's for now to the first time family owner What effects or ripple effects do you think this is likely going to have on the property market here in Singapore? Because we have seen rising rentals, rising property prices. Do you think this will start to ease the market? Hard to say, really. Mm -hmm. We know that beyond this, right, we also had the stamp duty 
that will impact the high end of the market. But uh, again, as I talk to my colleagues here, friends here, the increment might be too little to move the needle because Mm. the segment that they are targeting is very high end and that may not Mm. change the needle too much for them. Mm. But for the first timers, for the housing grant itself, it certainly will help for them to encourage them to start a family earlier. Whether it will cause any distortion to the market, I do not think so for now. Yeah, that sends a signal to some extent. And talk about all the goodies we've been covering, mm-hmm. comes the question of where does the money come from to pay for all these? And I think this is where the taxes come in. And we've seen some mm-hmm. being announced on luxury and sin. Uh, for example, we've got the higher taxes for higher value property, luxury cars, and of course, tobacco. And this is something to look at more closely in terms of what we can expect. So KPMG Wuhong, uh, earlier on in the wish list they've put out, was looking for clarity on whether Singapore will be introducing wealth taxes in the near future. So how big a sign is this? Yeah, I think this is a very clear indication that the form of wealth tax that the government is proposing is probably more indirect in terms of taxing the wealthy whole assets like cars, mm-hmm. uh, properties, rather than direct taxes like inheritance tax, estate duty tax, like other countries have imposed. So these will be the directions for wealth taxes. So of course, who knows, if we need more money, these kind of assets could be taxed more in future. I mean, make it more progressive. Yeah. So you think there's skill to move this up further? Yes. I <laughs> just, just remember last budget, we have the increase in personal income tax. Then we have property tax increase. So this year we have stamp duty and of course, sin tax, tobacco tax, right? But put it the other way, you know, you can control the taxes, right? You can don't buy the asset, you can don't smoke, <laughs> then you can don't pay the taxes. So it's a very discretionary. Yeah. Mm. And Gillian, what are your thoughts on the tax? Because it is a luxury tax and a sin tax. Perhaps would you say that this is almost a, a Robin Hood budget, given the emphasis that we've seen on social spending? It looks that way. So it's uh, quite redistributive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the trend, as Wu Hong has pointed out, is very clear that it would be indirect taxes to those who can afford it. And uh, mm-hmm. a real call to Singaporeans and our everyone who's here to sort of say this, which is that those who can afford it, please see if you can provide a little more support because as you can see, the other side is true, that those who have less, those who are less well off are mm-hmm. going to receive far more support. And I think this sense of solidarity mm-hmm. uh, is expressed through these very practical means. You know, having said that, yeah, I think we've res- seen the government mm-hmm. resist direct wealth taxes, mm-hmm. uh, nothing to sort of impose on mm-hmm. capital gains taxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that uh, um, you know, finance minister has said previously, this is because if you do it the wrong way, mm. people can always opt out and shift out of Singapore anyway. Mm. Mm. But if you're going to tax property, I think that's already fixed in Singapore mm. and a far more viable scheme to raise funds, fiscal resources in a way that uh, will work. Yeah, yeah. there was this very strong message that came through that those who can do more should do more. And on that note as well is what's playing out on the tax landscape around the world, which is mm-hmm. a push for a minimum tax of 15% for large companies. And on Singapore's uh, approach, it's going to be implementing a domestic top-up tax because right now it's under 15% for some companies, effectively. Mm. So mm. they're going to try to adjust it in time to come. And I'm just wondering, what would be the implications of this new adjustment? And I'm going to start things with um, Alvin first, with the impact on Singapore's competitiveness as well as its revenue. 
Well, okay, if we look at the tax revenue, the biggest component currently is still the corporate income tax. And of course, if you does this implementation itself, I think as what I think Minister Wong has mm. alluded to earlier, right, the impact may not be so certain depending on which methods they choose. And also like to highlight, they stated their intention, but they also highlighted that in the speech, right, this is up for review and update. I think this is so subject to what other countries will be actually taking place. I'm quite certain that Singapore doesn't want to be the first one to <laughs> stick the neck out on this. And um, in this case, I don't think it is a, there's no first mover advantage. Yeah, well, I think there are some countries in Asia already pushing forward next year and yeah. Singapore is looking at uh, perhaps a later date. Yeah, I think there are a few considerations for delaying by a year is to make sure that the rules are um, what other countries are doing and then so that when you formulate rules, we will, won't run foul of the international rules. That's mm-hmm. one way to look at it. And the other way or observation I had is that it really gives Singapore more time to really retain companies that is based in Singapore and hone our competitiveness on the non-aspect part, other proposed other value proposition to attract MNEs to be here. Because when the 15% tax rate is imposed, if everybody is going to pay 15%, there's no advantage of Singapore uh, coming to Singapore. That's, that's the reason. Yeah. That's, a, that's a good point. And Ryan, just to get your perspective, what do you think this means in terms of Singapore's competitiveness as a business owner? Well, I think that obviously the government is looking at this from a global perspective, right? And if uh, the playing field is being leveled across the globe, then what what is our competitiveness? And that's why I think the government is pushing a lot into skill upgrading, right? Mm-hmm. And have training our workforce in the right skill sets, uh, using the right technologies to upgrade the companies, etc. I think that's the only advantage that we have amongst many others, right? Singapore doesn't have any natural resources. Okay, the only thing that we have is our human capital. Okay, and you can see that a lot of MNCs are still here. And why are they still here? Because we've got a strong government, we've got the, the right legal framework to protect IP. Mm. And I think IP is going to be extremely important uh, moving forward. Okay, so I, I would say that globally, Singapore will still remain uh, extremely competitive and companies, MNCs would still you know, find this to be a very favourable place to land their offices in. Money FM Budget Conversations 2023 is presented by UOB in partnership with KPMG. UOB, building the future of ASEAN. Thanks for staying with us here on Money FM 89.3. I'm Rachel Kelly with Ryan Huang, and we're joined in the studio today by Alvin Liu, Senior Economist at UOB, Chi Wu Hong, Partner Head of Enterprise Tax, KPMG in Singapore, Dr. Gillian Ko, Deputy Director, Research Institute of Policy Studies, Ryan Cho, Deputy President at the Singapore Manufacturing Inc. Federation, as well as Managing Director of ForestFlora.com to continue our special budget conversation in which we will give you a recap and review and why Budget 2023, what it means and how it matters to you. We're now going to put the spotlight on support for businesses. We've spoken about support for families and the cash handouts, but what handouts are there for companies to weather the upcoming storm, in particular when it comes to tackling manpower? Now, one of the interesting initiatives, and we were discussing this yesterday, Mm. Ryan, is the integrators. Yeah. Yeah, the job skills integrators. So this is the 
approach that the government is going for that it sees a mismatch in skills needed and the skills in supply. And this is where the so-called middleman comes in to help match demand and supply, what's needed in the markets to help mm-hmm. companies to figure out what's going on. It does sound interesting. And I think we can get Ryan to weigh in on this, on what it means for the manufacturing sector, because I imagine demand for talent is quite fierce in the right. in the sector. So I think that the objective of this scheme is really to try to match supply and demand, right? Are we training the right jobs with the right skill sets? So when we look at the job integrators, I think um, a few examples come to mind. Singapore is gradually moving towards a more high-tech company, you know, uh, with advanced manufacturing. And the question is then, do we have the right manpower in place with the right skill sets to be able to level the whole country up? Right. One of the case studies that we have already encountered, and this has already been done, is that the manufacturers need better skill sets in data analytics mm. of their production line. As we know, traditional manufacturing is very can be very, very manual and we don't use a lot of data to analyze whether the machines are productive or you know, whether the output is you know can be enhanced, right? So one of the programs that we worked on is called I4.0, Human Capital Initiative, whereby we make use of a combination of technology and also train the staff to understand the data that the machines are generating. And we are able to um, help companies identify, well, maybe this part of the machine is not as productive and you have to fix it. Okay, but with this data, you also need people to interpret it. And that's where the retraining and the reskilling of the individuals come into place. Okay, so that part, I think, is for the manufacturing sector. Um, I also like to share another example, and that is more specific to the retail sector. If you go to a retail shop now, the retail assistant maybe will just help you. Okay, yes, sir. You know, how can I help you? Uh, yeah, this product is, you know, good. This product is no good. But moving forward, and these are examples that we've seen in China, the retail assistant not only needs to know the product, but they also need to go, you know, and promote the product on social media, mm. which means that they need, you know, a different skill sets in terms of presentation, in terms of TikTok using... TikTok skills. TikTok skills, that's right. <laughs> Okay, and to help uh, to bring customers, you know, either to go to the online shop or to come to the shop to buy their products. So I think all these are different way of engaging the customers in order to, you know, generate better revenue, which in turn will lead to better profitability for the businesses. So the question then is, are the job integrators able to identify these future skill sets for the businesses and then find the supply to pump into the businesses. And that's a good point. Do you see any challenges when it comes to implementation for this particular scheme? Well, I think challenges will always be there, <laughs> right, so to speak. As a business owner, yeah. I'm sure you're facing so many pressures. Is that actually time to send people for training? Mm. Um, training is important. I believe in the quote. If you don't train the people, you know, you, you can't do more for your company. So I think that it's a decision that the, the businesses need to make, you know, whether to invest now okay, or to lose the talent later. Echo what, uh, Ryan, you just said, because some of my clients were saying that if you don't invest in training and the staff is so eager to learn new knowledge and acquire knowledge, they will go to somewhere else that offer the training. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. But also there are people taking up courses, willing to be trained, Uh, but they don't know whether having invested the time and money and uh, uh, appropriating 
uh, government support for that. There will be a job at the end of the day that uh, uplifts you know, their livelihoods, uh, um, whether there'll be a promotion, uh, mm. whether there'll be really a successful shift into another career. So I think that sort of uh, um, gap needs to be filled. And I think uh, probably it will be helpful so that we make the most of what the government's spending in terms of uh, support for skilling, reskilling, and mm-hmm. companies setting up their corporate training centres. That's what it's got to be for. Mm. Right? And when you're looking mm. at reskilling, we are seeing the emergence of a number of new sectors, uh, green jobs, digital jobs, right? Indeed. So whether you're mm. skilling in the right direction. Yeah. yeah, it's important to have that roadmap, so to speak, uh, that you have mm. something at the end of the day after going through all that training yeah. on for both the workers, sides. For the yeah. workers. Yeah. We've also got to look at some of the other um, benefits that we've seen rolled out in this particular area. One, including the top-up to the National Productivity Fund mm-hmm. with $4 billion, as well as introducing the Enterprise Innovation Scheme for businesses mm-hmm. to get uh, larger tax deductions and activities like conducting research and development in Singapore. Alvin, which sectors do you think Singapore should prioritise? There's a lot to cover. A big push for innovation. Mm. Which sector yeah. needs it the most? I think in the statement itself, they have highlighted that few precision engineering mm-hmm. we will think about as well as retail and wholesale I guess right yeah I think in uh, by and large if they also included um, injections further injections into the global enterprise initiative and the SME co-investment fund I think it brought sense of it right you do see that they want to develop and help the local companies develop them and help them expand go overseas I think we in UOB itself when we did a survey among our customers right uh, corporate customers uh, they did say that this year itself they need to know they, they are prioritizing reducing costs but they also need to tap on new customer base and also of course the upskilling and the reskilling of their talent pool itself which is what we talked about so in that sense we do see the measures that were now uh, fitting into this the bill uh, of what the customers the companies want but there is some gaps one of the big gaps unfortunately, right, which was not announced, was much on manpower issues. Mm. Beyond the, I think there was some supporting workers on the, for ex-offenders mm. and uh, also the older workers in terms of the CPFG. The issue that a lot of companies still face is uh, short, within the short term, is on manpower. Yeah, I think I wish this was um, DRC ceiling, dependency ratio yeah. ceiling. The good part is, of course, there was no nothing on the DRC at all. That means it's not changing, it's not tightening further. So that is the only good takeaway, I guess. But the, the short term, unfortunately, because if we are expecting the manufacturing sector is uh, on a slight weaker footing right now, especially on the electronic side, mm. but the in-person services sectors are expecting to recover stronger this yes. year because of the reopening, especially of China reopening mm. and a lot more of the tourism, inbound tourism coming in. But that leads that to that mm. problem, right? If that short term where you get that pickup in recovery. But if you look at the, the numbers itself in terms of the foreign labour before COVID and currently, right, we still have a huge shortfall. Mm. And that is adding that pressure onto this services sector who are trying to recover and trying to make up for the surge in demand. But then they will have a lot of manpower issues to they are still tackling with it. So that's a big problem that I see for this year. Yeah, talking about pressures, I was just wondering, uh, Ryan, when you talk about the manufacturing sector, right, you've got pressures on the energy side of things. Do you see enough for 
your sector right now? And how much of an issue is it for your sector? Are we looking at, at what sort of cost increases these, these oh, days? Well, we've got members coming to, to us, you know, um, in the pharmaceutical space that have said that their um, electrical electricity costs have mm. gone up like two times and three times. Right, and these are uh, global MNCs you know, that's come to us for help to work with the government agencies. Well, I think but across the board, you, you're also reading in the news, right? You know, um, even restaurants, you know, catering businesses, um, central kitchens, their electricity costs have gone up by mm-hmm. two times, three times. Yeah, so, well, personally, I was also looking out whether there's going to be something in the budget uh, in this area. Um, I don't think we, there's any. But maybe, you know, the government can reconsider how to help companies um, at least, you know, level this up in the near six months, 12 months. And hopefully uh, when the global situation uh, normalizes, then this cost, you know, can come down to a normalized level. That's right. Manpower, energy, as well as other costs such as rentals Mm. impacting businesses. Uh, Just moving on, I wanted to get your perspective on the tax deductions for R&D. How much do you think this will really move the needle and perhaps balance a counter some of those increased costs across the board that we're seeing? Right. I I think the enhanced tax deduction of 400% really will give a significant push to Mm -hmm. those companies that are still thinking whether they, they should undertake R&D, especially even if you are not loss-making or not paying taxes, you still can get a non-taxable cash option payout if you undertake the R&D. So I think definitely this also signal to businesses that R&D is so important. Uh, don't lose sight of it. Continue to push for it and that's where the help comes in. Money FM Budget Conversations 2023 is presented by UOB in partnership with KPMG. UOB, building the future of ASEAN. Thanks for staying with us here on Money FM 89.3 as part of our special budget conversations. I'm Rachel Kelly with Ryan Huang. We are joined in the studio, of course, by Chibu Hong, who is partner head of Enterprise Tax KPMG in Singapore. Alvin Liu, senior economist at UOB. Dr. Jillian Ko, deputy director of research at the Institute of Policy Studies. And of course, Ryan Cho, uh, deputy president, Singapore Manufacturing Federation. We've covered social support. We've covered cash handouts. We've covered benefits to business. Now it's time for us to take a look at the outlook and what's ahead, the road ahead following this year's budget. Yeah, so in his speech, Finance Minister Lawrence Wong acknowledged that Singapore is a little red dot that's exposed to and vulnerable to external forces. But Singapore has the tenacity and courage to dream big and turn those dreams into reality. So Julian, when you look at the budget in totality, how much are we on track towards being in line with those visions? Well, I think certainly uh, what stood out as a short-term help to tide us mm-hmm. through the current very acute situation uh, that we face uh, with surging inflation due to all the disruptions, including the geopolitical disruptions. So there's that. But the long-term sort of trajectory is, as we've discussed, to really ensure that the golden goose that lays the golden eggs mm. is strong. And uh, as we move out of this uh, period of recovery and transition, you see, as we have discussed, a lot of support to uh, shift the economy towards something that is far more knowledge-driven, IP-driven, higher value add, and uh, then on the side of workers to enable them, equip them to have the skills to take these jobs. Remember Mm -hmm. that uh, Singapore received the largest haul of uh, 
um, inflow of fixed asset investments last year. So really, uh, Singapore is primed for the next even 20 years out from now to sort of do well economically, uh, to try and beat the odds, really. So we're pushing back against uh, the climate and the environment. So long and short of it is that, yes, this budget is for transition and certainly transition to higher GST. Next budget is also going to be a lot of support for the next transition in GST and uh, Mm. taking a sense of how the external environment is playing out upon us. Um, and I think then you need another year or so to stabilise and consolidate uh, arriving at a new normal, uh, whether it's the economic structure uh, mm. set within a new normal of geopolitics and the global economy and ultimately a new normal for us as citizens uh, in terms of better, stronger livelihoods coming out of the pandemic and the, uh, you know these crises uh, to find that we are a little safer and a little stronger. So uh, I think uh, the finance minister sort of emphasised that we have been through crisis, gotten through them, arrived at a different level. So can we do this again and how long will it take to get there? And I think just to put things in perspective as well, I mean, this is the biggest budget ever in a non-COVID time. What does it tell you about Singapore's fiscal position, Wu Hong? Uh, I, I think this is still a very, very prudent fiscal policy budget mm-hmm. where the government understands the rising costs at the same time wanting to preserve our reserves. So uh, it's, in, it's important to, to have that foundation which the finance minister keeps saying. Yeah. And uh, I suppose he emphasised that mm. that's our key form of insurance as a country. Uh, our national reserves and I think the government has kept the faith in actually drawing on them when it's needed then the question is uh, if he has declared that Mm. this 40 billion that was used from the national reserves cannot be topped up in Mm. any foreseeable future then uh, what else can help us grow this uh, you know uh, 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 rainy day fund Mm. Mm -hmm. I think that is something that has to be looked at and that's why growth is important growth will feed fiscal resources and MOF put out an occasional paper to show that even with its projections uh, uh, you know, on spending and on inputs, there's going to be a fiscal gap. So I think that has to be closed up and surely mm-hmm. it'd be growth and uh, you know, um, doing better that will then provide us the resources to afford not just the livelihoods and the lifestyles that we want, afford a transition to a fairer, more equitable Singapore and afford a one that's thriving within a very troubled world or at least surviving in a very troubled world. So we need that uh, a game plan to ensure that um, our national reserve are secure and uh, growing as well. Yeah, Julian, that's a very good point. I'm looking at the word resilience coming through very strongly yes. in mm. the budget. Uh, Alvin, when we look at the growth picture for Singapore, a lot of it is dependent on foreign investments and talent. So going forward, there's going to be this balancing act that Singapore needs to do. You, know, you have to be in that sweet spot where you don't get in too much, at the same time not have enough for growth. How does Singapore approach the future years in terms of calibrating its policies? And I think that's a key point as well in terms of competitiveness, how competitive it is globally now when it comes to attracting manpower. I think for Singapore, right, uh, we have a few existing uh, conditions that are very good for attracting uh, foreign talent. Um, I think 
political stability here is mm-hmm. one. I mean, we used to be boring little dot, right? Now we are slightly more fiery, <laughs> more exciting with uh, more things happening. So those help setting up the conditions. And of course, our education system here for people to come here with startup families, bring up, all this will help to attract. And the tax itself is also a very attractive reason for talents to relocate here to work. But this uh, should not be taken for a given because we have seen the rise of other centres and they continue to chip away shares on a very global basis. I think somewhere in the Middle East is one good example, which my dear friend here is also going to. <laughs> yeah, But um, I think we need to maintain and uh, we need to uh, excel in the some of the areas that uh, we do. And I think in terms of this budget itself, right, we could see that there is things like that to encourage companies. And I think you're rightly pointed out, Ryan, that this is going to be a balancing act. Because if you have a great influx in terms of migration, right, the social compact, there will be questions to the social compact, is again, mm-hmm. which is what happened, I think, quite a few budgets ago. And um, as we put it, right, um, these are lessons learned. As with the pandemic, right, you shouldn't let the pandemic go to waste. You mm-hmm. should learn things from there. Yeah. And things that we learn from the pandemic is that a hybrid work system, right, is actually can be a good thing. It's doable. Mm. It's doable. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. right. It took a pandemic to push a lot mm. of the companies. But then it did force a change in mindset. And But I think it's pushing us in the right way. Mm. And I think that itself will also work towards us getting a greater talent pool itself. Mm. Because you can foresee that if remote working is possible, right, the person doesn't really need to be in Singapore to work. That's right. So just very quickly to wrap up today's session, I'd like each of you to share what you think was missing from this year's budget that you didn't quite get to tick off your list and uh, whether or not you're actually satisfied with the overall budget. Alvin, actually, I'm going to start with you because you're pushing for the 9% yeah, we were hoping that because in 2022 budget, right, they did that projection of two hikes right, for mm-hmm. GST right, on the basis of the inflation outlook then. But fast forward 20, uh, 12 months later, right, the inflation outlook is much more elevated than what they have foreseen. So we thought on that basis alone, right, they might be a good consideration for a delay for the next GST hike. And beyond that itself, the two things, of course, manpower issues, we didn't see much uh, short-term measures to help companies, especially those sub- labour-dependent companies in services sector. The other one is in terms of green sustainability. ESG, sustainability. I think a lot of companies, especially SMEs, also want to do this, mm. but they lack that knowledge. They have a knowledge gap versus the MNCs, which are better, have better resources. We had hoped that maybe the government could step in as one of the bridge to help these SMEs. Because in the end, right, when these SMEs go about their business, go into bidding for projects, right, being sustainable, right, could be one of the criteria and it mm. will help actually, them. Actually, it is now already. Yes. Is that, is that what was on your wish list that didn't quite get checked off, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I've earlier mentioned that I think, you know, try helping uh, companies offset their electricity bills mm-hmm. um, is one very big factor right now, at least maybe for the short term. Right, um, helping SMEs leverage up on sustainability uh, is important. In fact, um, there's a conversation going around right right now in uh, Singapore Manufacturing Federation, 
we are trying to develop a framework, you know, to do a certain uh, certification to help SMEs mm. understand the importance of sustainability. Mm. So we are we're thinking along of the, the lines of like a you know bronze, silver, uh, gold certification, so that at least SMEs understand in order to go towards the direction of uh, sustainability, what are some basic blocks that they need to achieve. And that's important because, you know, for manufacturers that are exporting to places like US and Europe, this is going to become a very big component. Mm. In fact, some of the top tier manufacturers, you know, uh, like one of our members who serves Tesla as a company, mm-hmm. they need to pass this sustainability checklist. Okay, mm. if not, you can't even become a supplier. And that yeah. said, sustainability was on KPMG's checklist as well. Was it quite ticked off? Anything else? Yes, it's, it, it wasn't quite uh, what we expect. We expect probably more support on the mm-hmm. green adopting green solution for businesses, uh, green building, sustainability. And also like what Ryan says, right? So if we don't, our local enterprises don't up our game on sustainability and our methods of producing products and processes are not green in per se, there may be further input import tax levied by the other countries if buying from Singapore. That's correct. So if this is the way to come, then we will have a problem. The other thing that I didn't see in this year budget is probably a point on the corporate tax rebate. Mm-hmm. So some, I think if we have that, that will be a sweetener for some companies who just come out from COVID and cash flow is still a big problem for them. Julian, Well, we're an aging society, so I was looking for a little more help for caregivers. Uh, I think there are people who actually have to either drop out of work or mm-hmm. uh, move into part-time work to take care of their seniors or children even. Uh, so, you know, something along those lines would be probably quite welcome uh, soon. <laughs> uh, but I think uh, it was a great budget in terms of dealing with our uh, very acute needs, uh, dealing with uh, inflation. So that's quite key, really. The s- second one is really about labour. And I think uh, we, we saw the tightening of uh, some, some tightening measures last budget. But uh, well, how do we juggle ultimately the desire to kind of uh, really pick up steam in terms of the economy, uh, recognise that we're an ageing society. So, uh, you know, there's going to be less people of working mm-hmm. age here. Uh, although the population is growing, the migrant workers are being brought back in and welcomed. Uh, but, you know, squaring the circle really is, you know, for our ambitions, do we have the profile of people mm. we need and really at the end of the day, also the quantum that is needed in order to play the big game of uh, emerging stronger out of pandemic and these current troubles as the world retunes. That's a great point to leave it on. Well, thank you all so much for joining us in the studio today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank, thank you. you. We've been joined by Chi Wu Hong, Partner Head of Enterprise Tax, KPMG Singapore, Alvin Liu, Senior Economist UOB, Dr. Gillian Ko, Deputy Director Research at the Institute of Policy Studies, as well as Ryan Cho, Deputy President, Singapore Manufacturing Federation, to break down the latest budget moves. Keep it here on Money FM 89.3. Money FM Budget Conversations 2023 is presented by UOB in partnership with KPMG. UOB, building the future of ASEAN. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.